Hello, I'm Mark Lanier, and it's an honor to be back in our class today teaching on Paul as a legal case study. I appreciated Brent filling in last week, and I regretted being gone, but Kevin and I had a, a project we had to do called Fun and Telluride, and it was a really hard project, and we made it through, and thank you, Brent. Tim Wilson, would you come up here real quick? I want you all to meet Tim Wilson. Tim's a dear friend of mine and has been for many, many years. And uh, for, I don't know, 20 plus years, if you don't know Tim, you need to get to know Tim. And, and Tim is someone who does something amazing for me with all of my cases. Not all of them, but most of them. He helps me find witnesses. This man can find you. <laughs> this man can find your keys. This man can find anybody you want found. He can find your wallet, too, because he doesn't do it for free, unless you can't afford it, and then he will. He does some pro bono work. But you all need to know Tim and love on him. Thank you, Tim. Now, the reason I brought Tim up here is because one of the most important things I do as a trial lawyer is try to line up the witnesses I need for trial. I got a little help from Phil Keggy for this. Let's, we, we were doing it kind of skittishly, so let's see if it's going to work. We're going to give it a try. This hopefully will go onto the internet at some point. Thank you, Janet Seifert, for your work so far. So that's my question. My question is, can I get a witness? Now, Paul didn't really need one. He had God. He had everything in store. He didn't need a lawyer. 
But the point of the class is, if he had hired one, at least me, I'm looking at this as a legal case. How would I have handled this case? And so that's where I've begun. And, and now I'm at the point of the story where i got to get some witnesses lined up. And whenever you're getting witnesses in a case, it's extremely important. It's extremely important to understand what the witness knows. It's important to understand what the witness's credibility is. In other words, is this a witness that, that, that seems uh, to, to, to be about their wits? Are they competent to testify? Are they doing it with an ulterior motive? Are they doing it with good, pure motives? All of these issues are important. And then the last one is, I wonder how well the witness would stand up on cross-examination. How accurate is their story? So I want to see who my witnesses are that I would call in the case of defending Paul. And I want to know, are they good witnesses? And that's where we are this morning. So a little of this is some extra background behind some of the storyline that we've already been telling. But it's helping us understand why we can find credibility in this. And the witnesses, as I'm sitting there, the first one I'd want to look at is Ananias. Would I like to call Ananias as a witness? Now, you may be trying to remember, who was Ananias? Let's make sure we're on the same page, and let's develop it a little bit further in the story. So I've put a a satellite view of the Middle East up here. And we can put Jerusalem down there, just northwest of the Dead Sea. Uh, I mean, yeah, a little more west than north, but the northern part west of the Dead Sea. And there we've got Jerusalem. Paul, let's figure that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection happened around 30 A.D. We don't know with precision, but let's go with that. If it happened around 30 A.D., then the church began growing, and a lot of the Jews within Israel, or within Jerusalem, excuse me, a lot of the Jews have become Christians. Thousands of them. Some of them have gone to other parts of the Mediterranean world. But you've got thousands of them in Jerusalem who have become Christians. It is a major group of people. And that's only natural. I mean, if you knew and saw and had on reliable resource that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and then you visibly saw him, it would tend to make you a believer. One of the big complaints that, that, that skeptics lodge against Christianity is all of the early writings that testify to Jesus being resurrected were written by people who believed that Jesus had been resurrected. And there's a bit of a problem saying that, that, that I mean, so we should have writings from people who don't believe he was resurrected that say they saw him resurrected? I mean, you're not going to find that. So it's understandable that you've got a lot of people. Now, in the midst of this, not all of them were in Jerusalem. Because on Pentecost, for example, there were a lot of people visiting Jerusalem from surrounding areas. So Paul is within the first three years of the church persecuting the church has been responsible to some degree for the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. 
And Paul has gotten letters from the high priests to go find Jewish Christians in Damascus and to arrest and imprison them and bring them in chains and persecute them. Now, Damascus as a city is about, about, a, uh, about a two-week walk from Jerusalem. It's in modern Syria. But it's just uh, almost due north, a little bit to the east as you go forward. So Paul takes this two-week walk, and as he's nearing Damascus, Paul has his experience. And he's on that road, and, and we know what the scenery looks like. You can go back. Now you drive it. I don't know anybody who walks it these days. And in fact, with everything going on in Syria, I don't know anybody who's driving it these days. But... You can go there and you can still see the terrain. And Paul's on that terrain nearing Damascus when Jesus appears to him. It blinds Paul. The, the, the writer Luke makes it clear that Paul's associates could hear but not understand what was being said. They did not see Jesus. It was a private appearance, if you will. But Paul is there and he is struck by this. And the Paul who's the aggressive persecutor of the church, who's a rabbi, who's well trained by the top rabbi of the day, who comes from a family of note and a family of money. Paul, Mr. Up-and-coming rising star of Judaism, is blinded by this vision has to be hand-led by his uh, accompanying people into Damascus, where for three days he doesn't eat and he doesn't drink because he's been told that a man named Ananias is going to come visit him. So Ananias is the guy that we're looking at as a witness there in Damascus. And after that two-week journey and Paul's there on a street called Straight, that's the oldest picture I can find of straight street in Damascus. The street is still there. It's still there today. It looks a lot more modern. This picture is from the Royal Archives of England in 1862. So this is what it looked like maybe 155 years ago. But straight, in fact, with all the bombing going on, it may look like that right now. I don't know. But straight street is one of the rare streets back in that day and age that's straight. Hence the name. So Paul is waiting at the house of one fella named Judas, irony of ironies, when Ananias gets a vision from the Lord. Let me zoom in a little bit and give you a better idea if that helps that picture a little bit. It's, it's, it's kind of amazing that we know this. So you've got Ananias there, and Ananias gets a visit from the Lord. And in the visit from the Lord, the Lord tells Ananias, you need to go over to the house on Straight Street of Judas and Saul, which is Paul's Hebrew name, Saul is there and he's blinded and he's waiting for you to come. I want you to pray over him and give him back his sight. And Ananias says, time out, God. <laughs> Not sure you're up on all of the data. <laughs> we, oh, people, aren't we great? God 
let me tell you about this Saul guy, because I've heard about him. He's not good news. He's coming here to arrest people like me. And I think if he's blind, that's a blessing, not a curse. Because he's not going to see me very well. So, Lord, let's leave him be. God says, no, 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 no. He's my chosen vessel. I picked him. I got some work for him to do. You go to him and do what I said. So Ananias, if I put him on the stand, he could testify about Paul's life and reputation before meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus. He knew about the reputation. He knew what Paul was there to do. And then Ananias would be able to testify to that. the, The words that he said is, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. I want that testimony at trial. I want the person who's making this judgment be judge or jury. I want that person or persons to hear that kind of testimony about Paul. And I want them to understand that Ananias has no motivation at all to help Paul. I mean, why is he going to help Paul? Paul's not there to do him any good. All helping Paul could do unless Jesus had really changed Paul's life. All helping Paul uh, Paul would do for Ananias is ruin Ananias' life and the life of other Christians. He's got no motivation to go out there and do this, absent a firm conviction that God is sending him to do it. And so within the framework of that, I now want to look at the encounter that Ananias had with Paul. Because Ananias will be able to testify to that. He'll be able to say, I found this man. He hadn't eaten anything for three days. He hadn't drunk anything for three days. Look, have you ever tried not to eat or drink anything for three days? I want to tell you something. It's hard. It's real hard. It's not the kind of thing you do just because, hey, I want an adventure this week. If Paul, true, and I'll guarantee you this, if you go three days without eating or drinking, you will notice it in some, someone will notice it in you. It, you will not be the same person. Hangry doesn't even begin to describe what's going to happen. Y'all know hangry clearly. That's how angry you get when you're hungry. You're hangry, okay? Doesn't even begin to describe it. So Ananias comes in, he sees Paul. And I want Ananias under oath, and I want him to say, it was apparent to me this man hadn't eaten or drinking in three days. He was, he was under deep conviction. Mr. Bon Vivant, Mr. I'm full of myself, Mr. I'm the best zealot Pharisee around, Mr. I'm taking out the church personally, isn't half the man he used to be. And so in this encounter, Ananias prays over Paul and scales fall from Paul's eyes. And Paul's reaction, Ananias would testify, was not arresting Ananias, was not going to smoke out the church. 
Paul's reaction was to eat, <laughs> regain a little bit of strength, and then he went and was baptized. He embraced the Christian faith visibly as he had internally. And then Paul immediately goes to the synagogues in Damascus and he starts preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm not saying it took him 12 years, it took him 5 years, it took him a seminary degree. Paul, after his three days of fasting and seeing Jesus on the road, is able to go and argue effectively from the Scriptures that Jesus, Yeshua, is the long-awaited Messiah. And so he does so. And this Paul does to his own detriment. I would want Ananias there to testify that it wasn't like, oh, look, let's have a parade for Paul. He's now going to become our next apostle. Get Tim Rice to write the next musical about him. No. Paul goes out there and immediately starts preaching Jesus as Lord to his own detriment. If we look at Acts 9, 22 through 25 for a moment. We read the following. We read that Saul increased all the more in strength. He confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving Jesus, Yeshua, was Mashiach, was uh, Christ, the anointed. But when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. He went there to take out the Christians. He's become one. And now the Jews want to take him out, the unbelieving Jews. But their plot became known to Saul. They're watching the gates day and night. Why? He's going to leave. How do you leave the city? You leave through the gates. If he leaves through the gates, that stretch of road I was showing you that looks so desolate, it's going to be real easy to follow Paul and take him out. So the word gets to Paul that they're trying to kill him. So his disciples take him at night. And they let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. I look at this. And I want Ananias on the stand testifying about this because it shows you that Paul traded in an incredible life and it wasn't going to be one of roses once he did it. Immediately, it started being one of, of great difficulty and danger to Paul. Paul didn't have second thoughts. Paul didn't say, you know, maybe that was just uh, a flying saucer. I saw on the road to Damascus. It's an alien encounter. It was an unidentified flying object. No, he identified Jesus. And it was no doubt in his brain. No second guesses. No, yeah, I'm, I, I, I think, but, but I'm not sure. No. Absolute 180. A turn on a dime. And I'd want that out from Ananias. I'd want Ananias also because he's a good witness. 
Even the Jews that are not believers in Jesus agreed that Ananias was a good, honest man. Acts 22.12. One of the expressions about it, but in Acts 22.12, people are challenged to this. Paul's talking about it. And Paul says, one Ananias, a devout man according to the law. This is a man who lived according to the Torah. Well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. Not only the Christians, but the other Jews as well. That's who we're looking at here. We're looking at a good witness who will make a good appearance, who has good things to say about Paul. I'd put him on the stand in a heartbeat. I'd have him testify about these things in a heartbeat. Now, what happens next? If we go back to the PowerPoint, please. So Paul now has been lowered in a basket, and he makes the two-week journey back to Jerusalem. By the way, when it talks about it in the Bible, it always talks about going up to Jerusalem and going down from Jerusalem. Even though we look at it and say, well, you wouldn't be going up to Jerusalem. You'd be going down to Jerusalem. Don't think in our map terms. Go three-dimensional on me. Jerusalem's up on a hill, up on a mountain of sorts. That's why you always go up to Jerusalem and you come down from Jerusalem. Okay? Don't think north, south, east, and west. So Paul goes up to Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem, you'd think things are going to be real smooth there. But they're not. The church thinks this is all a diabolical trick by that scheming Paul. He's trying to infiltrate the church. He figures he's got a better chance of taking out some people. If he, uh, uh, if he pretends he's one of them. There are some people in this world, if you want to meet, um, um, our daughter Sarah had a chance one time uh, in the last year. She's, she's really done some neat things that God's blessed her with, great gifts. But one of them was to meet the German Chancellor Angela Merkel. And before Sarah was allowed to go to the meeting to meet Angela Merkel, her passport had to be given to the German equivalent of the FBI for them to check her out. I promise you, if you were going to go meet in a small setting, President Trump, Vice President Pence, or a number of different people, you would be required to give your information ahead of time. They would check you out because they don't let you just nuzzle up to one of those people. And you're at least going through a metal detector, I assure you. Nobody's going to just walk up to President Trump without going through quite a bit of security or they're being taken down by the Secret Service. That's logical. That makes sense. So Paul goes back. He's not getting a chance to just nestle up to the apostles. They're not open arms. Oh, here, guy who killed our friend Stephen... Our brother, our co-minister, come on in. We'll take you at your word. You've changed. So Paul comes back. What's going to happen? Well, I need another witness. Ananias isn't going to help me here. But there's a fellow who is. His name is Barnabas. His real name is Joseph. 
But in the church, they called him Barnabas. Bar is Aramaic for son. Son of encouragement, Nabas, encouragement. Barnabas was an encouraging fella. We would call him, we don't call people son of today. Instead, we, we, we might come closer uh, uh, with, with like Mr. Okay? You know, Brent's a very encouraging fellow. Wrote me just one of the most encouraging emails. A number of you do that all the time for me, and I thank you. But, you know, Brent was Mr. Encouragement to me this week. We just call him Barnabas because that's the way we translate Mr. Encouragement or Son of Encouragement. But they didn't have, I mean, that was what their word meant. So they're calling him Mr. Encouragement. But his real name was Joseph. We call him Barnabas. And Barnabas is going to be able to testify about Paul's reception in Jerusalem. That the church was not embracing him. Paul didn't all of a sudden become superstar. In bright lights with his name on the neon sign. Paul is Mr. I don't trust you. I don't like you. You have done more to hurt us than any man alive. Stay away. Which was the reaction of the church. Here it is. When he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. They're all afraid of him. They didn't believe he was a disciple. But Mr. Encouragement took him and brought him to the apostles. He ushered, Barnabas ushered Paul in to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he'd seen the Lord who spoke to him and declared to him how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so Paul was received there. And Paul's reception was a good one. And this would also be where Barnabas could testify about Paul's inner conviction. And Barnabas, as a testifier, would have immense credibility for me to put him on the stand. If you go back and you read Acts 4, 36 and 37, you'll see that Barnabas was originally from the island of Cyprus. But Barnabas had had some land and the church had a need and Barnabas sold his land and he gave it to the church. This is a man who puts his money where his mouth is. This is a man who doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. This is a man who is the real deal. All of those phrases we use. Money where your mouth is. Walk the walk or talk the talk. Real deal. All of those apply to Mr. Encouragement. He's a genuine article. And he's going to be able to testify about all of this. He's going to be able to testify about Paul's reaction once he was there. Not only Paul's reaction, because once the church accepted Paul, Paul starts going to all of his old cronies in Jerusalem, not to turn the church in, but to turn them into believers in Yeshua. Jesus. And so Paul is now working on them. And they decide, traitor, they're going to kill Paul. So the church finds out Paul's life is in danger, and they send him on his way. And Barnabas, Mr. Encouragement, can testify about Paul's departure. And Paul is sent away, 
And Paul kind of falls off the map for a while. Looks like he goes home to Tarsus in Cilicia. I don't doubt that Paul continued to teach Jesus. One of the reasons that I think in Paul's missionary journeys, you never see Paul missionizing Tarsus and the area right around his home. I think that's what he was doing during this time period. I know he was staying plugged in to some degree because five years later, Barnabas is being sent up to Antioch. Unless you're thinking in Jerusalem terms, then it's being sent down to Antioch. But he's being sent to Antioch in northern Syria today to help the church there. Because the church has really, really been growing. If we put the map back up here. So Jerusalem's about a two-week walk from Damascus. Maybe 12 days if you're really hooking it fast. Antioch is a lot further north than that. Antioch is about a a one-month walk from Jerusalem. I mean, that's, 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 that's not like one-month walk. Okay, on Fridays, i got to go for my walk. That's every day putting down the miles and wearing out the sandals. And they did not have good walking shoes then. They had, what are they called, Rebecca? Jandals? Jesus sandals. Jandals. That's what the kids are wearing now. I can't figure out if they're jandals because they look like Jesus would have worn the sandals or they're jandals because they float on water. You know, I don't know. But anyway, you can get those off eBay. I mean, uh, Amazon. So he goes up a long month walk to Antioch to help the church there. Oldest drawing I can find of Antioch from the 1800s. It's uh, in the foothills near the harbor. Uh, the hills are around it, and it's built into this little valley into the hills, or this pocket into the hills. So he goes up there, and he starts working with the church. Well, the church is really growing. There's a great, great story in Acts that I, I have to leave out here out of time. But, it, no, I can't leave it out. It's just too good not to say it. Luke is so cool when he writes. Maybe I could put it in when I call Luke as a witness. Um, yeah, I'll put it in there. I just don't have time right now. Really cool story. Don't let this be the only Sunday you come to class. Come back to hear the really cool story that Luke throws in. I'll try and do it next Sunday. Um, so anyway, so they go there. Well, now, here's the problem. They need more teachers. So Mr. Encouragement's up there. It's been five years since Paul's been sent away and Paul's been in Tarsus. But Tarsus is pretty close to Antioch. So instead of taking a month and hauling it down to Jerusalem to find some more teachers, Barnabas hotfoots it over to Tarsus and finds Paul. Says, hey, come over to Antioch. We need your help. To put it in Jesus' terminology. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Please come. And Paul says, absolutely. Here's the passage. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That's where it started. 
So within the framework of this, we've got Paul now coming to Antioch, and Paul and Mr. Encouragement are working together. They're teaching, they're teaching, they're teaching. They make a, 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 a and, and we've got that, we'll put Barnabas on the stand, we'll let him testify about that. Now you're about 14 years from Paul being a Christian, as Paul makes a visit down to Jerusalem with Barnabas to take some things for the church in need there. So he walks that, that month down there, does it, meets with the, the apostles, the, at least three of them, Peter, James, and John, who are the pillars of the church, he says. And those pillars just affirmed what Paul was teaching and preaching. Barnabas is with him. There are some people who think Paul's some renegade teaching something outrageous, different than Jesus and his mission. Not true. And Barnabas will be able to testify. Paul came down, laid out for the church elders or the apostles what he was teaching. And those pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John, all said, thumbs up, brother. Preach on. God is working through you mightily. Keep it up. And so Paul and Barnabas go back with the apostolic blessings. That's not all Barnabas can testify to. Barnabas is going to be on the stand for a couple of days. Barnabas is going to be able to testify about the first missionary journey that Paul took because Barnabas went on it with him. And this was not Paul thinking, hey, I want to go on a missionary trip. You know, Max is up here. He's talking to you about Sri Lanka. Brent last week talking about Sri Lanka and what we were trying to do there, what we're trying to do. It's not because, hey, we think there are people who just really are going to be into going to Sri Lanka. Nothing personal if you're in Sri Lanka and watching this. We love you with the love of the Lord. But we got some really cool stuff here. We don't need to go to Sri Lanka for us. It's a question of going to Sri Lanka because we believe the Spirit of God is moving us there. We believe God's doing something there. We believe a missionary trip is an appropriate thing to do. By the way, they were not common in Paul's day. You didn't have Greeks going out there to convert you to Hermes. Or you didn't have Romans going out there to convert you to Jupiter. You didn't even really have many Jews out there going out among the Gentile community trying to convert you to, to Adonai, to God. This is something new. Culturally, historically, this is something new. The only thing I can find close to mission trips before this is when kings would go out and conquer lands. Saying, God sent me here, my God sent me here because your God's inferior and my God wants to flex its muscle. So here I am to conquer you. And it was an excuse to, 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 to go to battle and win. This is a brand new idea. Paul didn't think of it. Barnabas didn't think of it. Barnabas is going to say, be able to testify, this idea came from the Holy Spirit. Here's the passage. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me, Mr. Encouragement and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 
this mission trip is something that God was about. Now, where are they going to go? They didn't know about Sri Lanka. But you know what they did know? Where was Barnabas from? Cyprus. Let's go there first. And that's what they do. So they're in Antioch and they go to the island of Cyprus. They sail from the harbor near Antioch and they put in at Salamis. And they preach all the way down the island to Paphos. We can see ruins on Cyprus still today from the Roman times. I mean, this was a big presence there. They had a 15,000 seat amphitheater there. So there's a, a Roman proconsul there. And it's a really cool story. And Barnabas is going to be able to testify about it. Because he was an eyewitness to the story. The Roman proconsul was a guy named Sergius Paulus. Which I'm sure Paul had fun with that since they shared the same Roman name. And so Paul is preaching and teaching to this Roman proconsul. The Roman proconsul's got a, a, a counselor of sorts who's a magician, sleight of hand. And this fella is Jewish. And he starts trashing Paul. You can read about it in Acts 13, 9 through 12. So this fellow's trashing Paul in front of Sergius Paulus. Big mistake. So Paul just turns around and basically calls down blindness on him. That made a believer out of the Roman proconsul. It's like, whoa. Uh, uh, Mr. Magic Man, see ya, Paul. I'm in. <laughs> Tell me. This isn't magic. This is the real deal. And Sergius Paulus becomes a Christian. And the mission trip continues. Well, where are you going to go next, Paul? Look what they did. They sailed up to Turkey. They put in at Perga. And as we read the account in Acts, they didn't really stay in Perga. Almost immediately, they went to another Antioch, Pisidian Antioch. You're thinking, two Antiochs? Oh, they had like over a dozen Antiochs. I can count at least 15, okay? Antiochus was really big on, he's like George Foreman with his kids, okay? He just, we're going to name this one George. What's the next one? George. What's the next? George, you know? I mean, just Antiochus liked that name. He thought it sounded like really good for a city. So, Pisidian Antioch. Why would they go up into the foothills like that? I think there's a good reason. If you go to the museum about, an, about a, five miles south of ancient Antioch, the city in Antioch, you'll see the stone that they found last uh, uh, century. The stone is one that references Sergius Paulus, Jr. It's the family home of the proconsul on Cyprus. Now, we don't know for certain, but every reasonable indication is that that's the case. So, Sergius Paulus basically said, hey, would you all go talk to my family? Probably sent letters of recommendation and authentication, and, and maybe even some of his people. And so Paul and, and Barnabas, they go north. They go there to Pisidian Antioch. 
And while they're there, they go to a synagogue service. Now, I need to talk to you about synagogue for a minute. Have any of you ever gone to a synagogue service? Raise your hand. A lot of you have. That's fantastic. So yesterday, uh, Rick Meadow and I went, and Becky, uh, my wife, and I went to a, a synagogue service of a Messianic synagogue, Congregation Beth Messiah. And um, uh, it was marvelous. It was from 10 to noon yesterday. And the service was really incredible in a number of different ways. Uh, it was a real blessing. It was a blessing because they sing songs we don't sing. And it was, it was a, a joy and a blessing to get to learn those. It's a blessing because they sing songs we do sing. And it was a joy and a blessing to sing those. Uh, they, they sang uh, one of the songs we sang this morning. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Except they sing the name Yeshua. Which is what Jesus' name was in Jesus' language. We've just turned it into a Greek name, into a Latin name, into an English name when we say Jesus. But, you know, you get someone from, from Spain and they might be named Marcos. And over here we'd call them Mark because that's our language. But their name is Marcos. Um, Jesus' name was Yeshua. So they would sing that instead. Um, it, was a, it was a wonderful service. And, and uh, I went, and, and Becky and I went, and we met with two of the rabbis afterwards. And by the way, this rabbi named Michael Vowell, V-O-W-E-L-L, like A-E-I-O-U, Vowell. Which is interesting because Hebrew doesn't have any vowels in its writing at least. So maybe they just saved him for the rabbis. But Rabbi Michael Val, I'm going to have some time come teach our class. I said, what do you do on Sunday mornings? Because they worship on Sabbath. He said, sleep. I said, good. Well, some Sunday I want you to have my class. He's got a four-year seminary degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. The fellow is as bright as, as a tree full of owls and uh, just preached an amazing sermon. But I asked him, I said, okay, we're going to be talking about some synagogue stuff coming up in class. Could my class do a field trip out here on a Saturday morning? And they said, of course, we'd love to have them. Well, I was looking around counting about 20, 25 spare seats in the building. And I said, well... Um, you know, we might have 20, 25 people, maybe more. They said, we got walls we can knock out. We can handle 100. And I said, well, I don't think 100 of us would do it on a Saturday morning. But you never know. I got pretty committed people. But they're also pretty busy people. So uh, um, if you're interested, I want us to have a field trip. And we're going to go to Congregation Beth Messiah on a Saturday morning. The service is from 10 to noon. And it's, um, it's pretty cool, okay? It's pretty cool. And it will give us some things that will help us understand where we're going to pick up next week. And we'll discuss some of these things. So if you've got interest in that, Brent will figure out how to help us figure out how we're going to get this done. Or Mark Wilkie. Where's Mark? Because Mark's, Mark's already, he's like, hey, we could all meet for breakfast ahead of time. I'm like, Mark, 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 come on. <laughs> Said people will come just for the food. You know, we, we wanted this. So anyway, here are your points for home. But, but let's look at that in the future. Point for home number one. 
A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And you may be thinking, why did you put that in there, Mark? The reason why is because one of the stories that really touches me today out of this lesson is Barnabas, Mr. Encouragement. Someone who's willing to stick their own neck out on the line for you. Someone who's willing to go to bat for you. Someone who's willing to step in and say, hey, I'll take the risk first. I'll dig into this to the protection of my other friends to see whoops, if this new thing is authentic or not. I will, I will take the risk. And then sticks with Paul and loves Paul and encourages Paul and goes with Paul. Does all of these things with Paul. That's pretty amazing. I want to make those friends and I want to be one of those friends. And that's hard to do in our day and age. Because we all have our own little world and our own little circles. And everything seems to demand our time and attention and everything else. But it starts right here. If you don't know the people who sit around you, you need to. We need to make those connections. We need to have those friends. They change not only our world, but the world around us. Point for home number two. The Holy Spirit told the church at Antioch to set out Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I, God, the Holy Spirit, have called them. Our missionary trips are not vacations. Our missionaries are not living the high life. Mission works are the hand of God where God, the Holy Spirit, calls. I got news for you. If you're wondering if you ought to go to Sri Lanka, pray about it. If you're wondering if you ought to give for Sri Lanka, pray about it. Don't ever do it because you feel guilty. Don't ever do it because you feel pressure from humans or pressure from yourself. Do it if God the Holy Spirit's behind it. But if God the Holy Spirit's behind it, then do it. We need to be in prayer for our missionaries. We need to support our missionaries. And we need to pray, should we be those missionaries? Doesn't have to be full time. Paul's making missionary excursions. He can spend a week on Cyprus and change the world. And then the last point for home. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from above. I'm looking out right now at one of the greatest gifts in my life. It's you. This church... People who watch this on the internet and send us encouraging notes and emails. People who put it on the internet. You who show up here faithfully on a Sunday morning when you could be sleeping like Rabbi Val. Who did his church yesterday while you slept. I, th this, you're a gift from God to me. And I'm very thankful to God for that. We can get so caught up in some pettiness sometimes. I mean, I look back at those times where I've wasted even a moment of my day fussing over things that don't matter. I want to 
see the hand of God. I want to focus on the hand of God. I want to be tuned into the hand of God. I want to live for things that matter. If I'm going to have a fuss with my wife, I want it to be over something that matters. And I've yet to find those generally. When I fuss with her, it's generally over like nothing. When I look at you, I want to give you things each Sunday where you say, thank God. Not Mark, not anybody else, because every good gift is from God. So if I want God to use me, I'm going to work extra hard for next Sunday's lesson because I want it to be a gift to you where you say, thank you, Lord, for the gift. Because I'm so appreciative of you. So with that, can I bless you in the name of Jesus? And I hope to see you next week by the grace of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask in the name of Yeshua, the name above all names, Jesus, the Messiah, who has done everything for us. In his name, Father, who he is, what he's done, I pray your blessings upon my sisters and my brothers here. Give them graciousness. Give them peace, give them patience, give them goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. Give them the fruit of your spirit, Lord, to stand up against this wicked world. Amen. Amen.